0: I was the fish out, 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 out of the water, you know. Um, even though that I could talk about food, you know, having, uh, being given a, a hosting position uh, in one of the biggest shows in Australia, was just the most stressful time of my life. To be honest with you, the first, the first series of My Kitchen was, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I was stressed. This is the crackling.
1: I'm Anthony Huckstep. They say fame can change people. But what is fame and what image does it present? The reality is we only really get glimpses of famous people and yet that forms the basis of how we judge them. The notion of celebrity chef has become a driving force on television. But for most that make a crust in the limelight, it came after years of hard work learning their craft. Who is Manu Fieldel? Well, Manu, you're known as a celebrity chef and one of Australia's most well-known, but a lot of people might not know that you also were the head chef of a three-hat restaurant, which is the highest accolade you can receive in Australia. Yes, that's right.
0: Um, it's funny how people forget things like this, you know, but... <laughs> um, it's like you know, it's like going uh, uh, to the top of Mount Everest. But uh, you know, um, um, I, I it it seems to be it's funny because it it was the uh, an amazing part of my life. But it's, uh, it seems to be such a long time ago and such a different life ago as well.
1: Well, let's let's go back a little bit before we look at what's happening now. Take us back to France. What was it like? What was food like in your family and how important was it to um, the center of your family?
0: Um, I think food was everything. And I, I didn't know how, how lucky I was as a kid, I suppose, because I thought every French family were as lucky as I was. mum was a great home cook because her mom was a great home cook. Uh, my dad was a chef and my mom's dad was a chef as well. My mom's granddad was a pastry chef. So, and my uncle is a charcutier, So he's been making, uh, you know, charcuterie all his life and gold medals of black pudding and so on. So uh, food for me, uh, and funny, I never thought of becoming a chef until until I had to really. But for me, what, food was always in my life. And I I never remember pushing a plate away from me. Uh, saying I don't like that or I don't want that I, I've yeah food was it's always been the center of my life
1: is there any dishes from your childhood that you have fond memories of
0: uh I've, I've got a whole book of it my, my I think my first cookbook <laughs> my first cookbook was dedicated to uh the typical French food of of um what I was brought up with um but yeah I mean I suppose uh, firstly I need to rem- remind everyone that you know Food, good food doesn't have to be expensive. By the way, so I wasn't born in a family uh, with a a lot of money, and uh, and could drink the best wine and eat the best, the most expensive ingredients. What we had was humble ingredients, just cooked very well, Um, and um, that's what people make mistake of. Fine dining is not necessarily expensive. Fine dining for me is it's just good food just cooked very well um so um, yeah uh, we're you know uh, middle class single mother just um brought up uh, you know cooking some great food so um that was it for us
1: you mentioned that um you had to become a chef which is an interesting way to phrase it can you tell us how you got into the industry
0: um You know, I was a a, a clown at school. I I wasn't pretty much listening to any of the teachers. And not because I was um, stupid, just because I was uninterested. And by the age of uh, 15, uh, mom just didn't know what to do with me anymore. My parents were divorced. My dad used to own a restaurant at the time. And she pretty much uh, sent me to my dad and say, go and work with your dad for a while and see We'll see where it takes you, I suppose. And Anthony, I can tell you the first day I walked into the kitchen, that was it. I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew because because it just made sense. The, the, the dots connected in me loving food and me being brought up around food. Then suddenly I ended up in the kitchen and it it felt great, you know, And uh, and... From the lazy student at school, I became a really hard worker straight away uh, doing you know over 16 uh, 16 hours a day. I, I wasn't scared of it, I wasn't afraid of it and the more the more time I would spend in the kitchen, the better it was for me.
1: You applied your trade in Europe for a little while and and ended up in Australia. What, what was it like in those early stages of your career in in Europe before you came down here?
0: Um, so I moved, uh, I did my apprenticeship from the age of 15 to 18 in France, uh, which the, the last two years of my apprenticeship was probably the hardest part of uh, of the apprenticeship. It was tough. Um, I had a really uh, mad, uh, moody and alcoholic uh, head chef uh, that I was stuck with for two years, and so a lot of... Um, physical and, and 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 verbal abuse uh but also taught me you know everything he knew uh, about french food so it was kind of uh balancing st- things out <laughs> i suppose at the time um and then left um to england my my, my cousin was a chef uh, my cousin is uh, uh, three years older than me i think and I, he was already working in london and He finished his contract in London and gave me a call and said, I'm leaving London. Do you want to take my job? And I'm like, yeah, why not? So uh, I didn't speak a word of English at the time. Um, I had 300 pounds in my pocket um, and a a job. And that that was the second part of my apprenticeship. This time it was the apprenticeship of life. Um, That was, again, really, really tough the first year. But um, I survived and... um, and then I just got on with uh, working in London for eight years, and then after eight years, uh, I was 26 years old by then. Decided to I worked with a lot of Aussies and and Kiwis and uh, and South Africans in London, so I just got painted an amazing picture of what Australia was about, and decided to uh, take my backpack and and come to Australia, and. Um, The rest is history, I suppose.
1: (laughs) You mentioned that your time in London, which is eight years, was your apprenticeship of life. What did you take from that time?
0: Again, you know, like I was a commis chef at uh, the Cafe Royal uh, in Piccadilly Circus, and that was a a nine-floor business. So there was a kitchen on every floor, um, banquets and fine dining cafes and brasseries and you name it. So that was an amazing amazing place to be but the head chef was just excuse my French, but it's just an asshole, a German guy and um, just make, make us work harder than we should really but um, again, it's just I don't regret any of this time to be honest with you because it it, it, may, it makes you tougher, it makes you strong and it makes you deal with with anything in the future I suppose, but um I was tough as well, and um, but uh, again, you know, it, uh, by the age of 22 years old, I was uh, running a restaurant. So, you know, I, I, I started early, uh, but in the space of seven years, I was able to run one of the best seafood restaurants in London, which is called Live Bait. Uh, and in 1998, uh, we were yeah, nominated best, one of the best seafood restaurants. So, you know, I. I Work hard pays off, I suppose, and, and I suppose work, working hard is one thing. Having a passion is another, and I think most chefs have the passion. Uh, and you need to have the passion because uh, before you make money in this business, it takes years.
1: <laughs> you had these expectations of what Australia would be like before you came here because of the people you worked with. What was what was it like when you first got here? Was it a shock? The food culture here, or how did you feel? About
0: it? <laughs> Uh, yes, actually. it was a shock indeed to benefit the UI. So my last three years in London was uh, working in a seafood restaurant which I really, really loved uh, to be you know to have something special I suppose. Uh, specialize in, in seafood and, and, and in Europe you've got seafood from everywhere, Spain, France, Scotland, um, you know from the Mediterranean to the Atlantic. so it's an amazing array of seafood. So when I came here, n- n- knowing I was uh, on a huge island, I was hoping to be working in a seafood restaurant again and and I, I couldn't find a place that I was attra- attracted to you know I mean I remember the seafood platters in Melbourne, 20 years ago was deep fried fish, deep fried fish and, and uh, defrost defrosted oysters. And uh, it was just like, I was shocked. I was like, what the heck's going on? <clears throat> um, and I, until I found a job with uh, Michael Bakash, who used to have two fees in North Carlton. <clears throat> and he, he, his knowledge of, his knowledge of, of, um, of food wasn't huge but his understanding about seafood was was epic and uh, i really loved working with him because of the food he, he was a nutcase as well by the way but um, <clears throat> but uh, he, he, yeah I, i've never seen so much fresh seafood coming from from uh, from uh, melbourne it was amazing like everything was f- live and fresh and it, it was it, it was beautiful Unfortunately, I didn't fall in love with Melbourne at the time, so I came to visit a friend in in Sydney, uh, which was a huge eye opening to me because Sydney it was the city that was got painted to me, blue sky, sunshine. Um, the, the you know I I, I remember arriving at um, Central Station on a bus and I walked down uh, George Street all the way down to the Opera House on the bridge as I said, blue sky, sunshine, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. This is Australia. This is where I want to be. So I studied in Sydney and um, and started working at Yugos in Bondi.
1: Oh, wow. How was that? That was quite a huge um, social place for so many in Sydney at that time. What was that experience like?
0: My, I had the best time of my life. I was 26 years old. The ocean was looking at me. Uh, Again, the weather was amazing, the people were fantastic, you know, we were all in our 20s, so it was party central and, and working hard as well. And and um, the reason why the, the guys at uh, Hugo's gave me a job is because they were opening Hugo's Lounge in King's Cross six months later, and they had never seen a CV like mine before. So they were very excited to have a, a French dude, you know, taking over the restaurant, I suppose.
1: We briefly touched on the fact that uh, you were at a three-hat restaurant in Bilsons. Uh, what was it like working with the with the late Tony Bilson and, and creating that restaurant? <laughs> wow, how long have you got? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was full on, mate. It was just um, – the first year was really, really tough in a way that Tony um, – was an amazing chef, like uh, I uh, probably one of the best chef I've ever worked with, I suppose. And uh, because of his knowledge and his passion and his love of French food, and he's, he was a dreamer though. He, he, he had big dreams, but he was a bad businessman at the same time. So, um, you know, we 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 the first year was was very very uh, rocky. Uh, uh, you know, couldn't pay the bills, so some most of the time couldn't get the supplies <laughs> from from the suppliers uh, and so on. but we we pulled through um, and on the second year of opening we we had uh, two hats, which was amazing. And on the third year we we received that third hat and kept the three hats for three years in a row, which was uh, the reason why I stayed behind, but physically, mentally, draining um because when you've when you get two hats it's great when you get three it's amazing but to keep three hats for such a long time it's draining because you have to be on top of it uh every minute every day every week every month um and um but we had a good team uh and um yeah it was it, it probably the best part of time of my life I remember that for, for, forever.
1: Can you tell us about some of the dishes or even pork dishes that um, start on that menu?
0: Yeah I think you know we, we try to, to to stay I suppose um, traditional in a way but being a little bit ahead of the time but you know now 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 the cuisine is different now it's like very very modern. Uh, But when we started, Wilson, the modern food was just starting to to pop in. So we're still a little bit traditional in a way. But I mean, you know, the the odd uh, pressed um, uh, suckling pig, uh, crispy skin, uh, black pudding, uh, apple puree, you know, beautiful pork jus with truffle in it. You know, uh, like simple, but technically precise and correct and uh, and delicious, you know, but um, pig strollers, we used to braise pig strollers uh, Overnight, then we used to peel gently the the gelatin s- uh, Skin away from the bone. Then we used to make a, po- a pork uh, uh, stuffing and, and pipe the pork stuffing in then roll the the pig trotter back together wrapped in crepinets and then set and then cut and then fried it was just like technically took us for days to make those type of dishes but absolutely delicious man and nobody would care about doing this anymore because it takes too long
1: (laughs) you briefly mentioned a part of a dish the pork shoe, and i remember that from those times and you've made a name for yourself about sort of about sauce being so integral on a dish to bring it together how how tough was it bringing creating that pork shoe can you take us through that
0: yeah Matt, we we used to make our, our stocks ourselves and i'm saying this because again it's not a not a lot of restaurants do this anymore except the top restaurants i suppose but you know the the type of bone you're using the type of uh, you know the 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 the, the the time it takes to reduce to a a beautiful dummy glass and he's got a a, a balance of, of sweetness and it can't be too bitter. It needs to be sticky from, from the gelatin of, of the pork and all of this, you know, using pig strotters and, and breast bones and, and all of that. And uh, it's just a a knowledge and and also caring about the results. And, and, you know, it, it, and that's what I love about sauce. My is because it takes so long to produce, but the end result, it, it's it's got so many layers. It, it's it's outstanding.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It can really bring a dish together, and and even be the star of it. That's right, 100. You you ended up leaving Billsons and opening in Paddington with a really successful French bistro. Uh, what was it like running your own business for the first time like that?
0: It was quite amazing actually because i mean to be honest with you i was running billson even though the billson wasn't mine i was running it like it was mine and i've always worked that way you know you you you've got to be on top of the food cost and the and the staff cost and and, and writing the menus and uh, hiring and firing the staff so it's kind of uh, it's kind of it's kind of the same except that suddenly you have to pay the bills <laughs> um, but but i remember i've joined l'etoile uh, when it was already open. So uh the the Yannick who used to own l'étoile at at started l'étoile and was heavily in debts. Uh so he, he kind of called me and said I need I need you to come and help and sold me out. And um I, I didn't I just did what I did. I I I, I did very I started with doing very basic um bistro, French foods, the, the real classic you know, um, um, onion soup and, and, and souffles and, and so on. And it just, it took, it just kind of went crazy straight away. And in the space of the first six months, uh, my business partner pretty much repaid most of his debts and we just continue on and, and it just went on and on and on. And, 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 and then, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, partnership don't always work and we kind of split apart from that after that
1: you've become one of australia's leading food communicators on television what was it like in the early days when you first started in that medium was it was it nerve-wracking for you
0: oh like more than nerve-wracking because i was the fish out, 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 out of the water you know um uh, even though that I could talk about food, you know, having uh, being given a, a hosting position uh, in one of the biggest shows in Australia was just the most stressful time of my life, to be honest with you. The first, the first series of my kitchen was, I couldn't sleep, uh, I was stressed, uh, I like, you know, you've got cameras, you've got, you've got crew, you've got, You've got uh, hundreds of people listening to you and watching you, and it's it's quite, it's quite stressful. Um, and it took me a couple of, year, of years to um, to feel um, to feel relaxed with it, I suppose. And um, and and now it is it is a job. It's my job. It's what I do. But uh, it was a brand new job at the time, and it, it was tough. But um, I also loved it, you know, and I still love it. And I, I'm so happy that I've got. Two different careers that could merge together and um, and uh, put a smile on my face. You know, I love what I do, so it's it's just not hard work anymore.
1: Over the years, you've had to balance the world of celebrity and chefing and owning restaurants and having that spotlight on your personal life as well. What's it like having um, so much focus on sort of your personal life as and while you're trying to run restaurants or um, be a food communicator?
0: Well, when everything's working, it's it's bloody fantastic, you know. <laughs> you know when the restaurants are full, brilliant, you're successful on TV, brilliant. Uh, everything goes well at home, brilliant. But to have the three together working brilliantly, it's it's near impossible. There's always w- one one failure, you know. Uh, and I've always mm. put it like um, uh, having a, a four burner stove, you know. And you've got, let's put it, let's uh, think that you've got four flames going at the same time and there's not enough gas, you know, it's kind of, mm-hmm. it can kind of work like this. So, um, yeah, I, 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 being, I suppose, uh, what they call a celebrity uh, is double-edged sword because it, it helps you in a way in your business, but it's a double-edged sword in a way that people expect so much more from you uh and, and that's the tough part of it you know you've got to always um be on top of of everything so it's been tough you know uh, celebrity or success doesn't happen with, without failures so you know it's been tough and i've been criticized a lot and uh but i also been loved a lot by by the public and so on so it's it's i think it's just a uh, uh, hard to juggle but you have to you know and it's it's it is it is what it is.
1: Do you miss the energy of the kitchen and restaurants? And, and how do you compare that sort of energy rush that you would get in the entertainment industry compared to the restaurant industry?
0: Uh, I miss it 150%. I miss it a lot. I I miss it, but I also know that uh, where it is at the moment, I'm happy that I'm not in it. Uh, because it would be, it'd be a very difficult thing to deal with but i miss it i'd love I, as i'd said i would never have a restaurant again because it's tough but i i, I kind of inside I'd, I'd love to i'd love to i love um the service time I, I love you know the rush of of cooking i love the uh talking to the customers and, and put a smile on their faces and and, and the, the noise that restaurants makes. And I love all of that. That's what I was born to, to be doing. Um, but, you know, my my life took me a different path and I had to make a choice, uh, you know, between the entertainment or the restaurants. You, you can't do both. It's just too tough. And there's a lot of examples of people like i have been trying to do it and it's, it's hard. You have to choose one or the other. Um, but I can I compare... Uh, it's like being on a stage at the theater, I suppose. You know, as an actor or singer, it's just—it's like—it's like a show. You know, when you run
1: a restaurant every night, it's a new show. Well, it's not just uh, television that you've been on. You're in a—you're in a movie as well as a French chef. What, what, what was that like? <laughs>
0: but that was the weirdest thing ever. That someone came up to me, a, a TV, um, a movie director, offered me to have a, a, a go at it. I was just like, kind of why you know I've I never stu- I've never studied um, you know acting of, of any kind um, but the guy just saw my just uh, followed me and thought I was charismatic and that I would be able to to pull it off and I mean I don't think um, it was a, a huge success but personally it was for me because I got given the chance to, you know, to be on the big screen, I suppose. And it was great. It was fantastic. And working alongside uh, uh, Shane Jacobson, you know, I was laughing my head off on a daily basis. So, again, it wasn't really like working. It was just being on set, just hanging out with some mates.
1: <laughs> do you do much cooking these days? Who, who, who's the person that cooks the most at home?
0: Oh, it's Clarissa. My, my wife does. She, she's uh She's an amazing home cook. She's uh, background is Malaysian Chinese Sri Lankan. Uh, and she can cook those three cuisines. And, and now she starts uh, cooking even some European dishes as well. And she just loves it. She just does it. You know, it's this um, a- Asian mentality of uh, they don't necessarily give you a big hug, but they give you a big plate of food, you know. <laughs> That's the way they do it yeah and, uh, and yes I I, I do maybe thirty percent of the cooking should probably do seventy percent um, and I you know I, I I'm happy with that <laughs> I, I love cooking but I love eating as well so it doesn't bother me
1: when you do get a chance to get on the pans um, what sort of cuts of pork and techniques do you do you like to sort of do at home
0: uh yeah a whole lot um, Obviously, at home, it's it's nice to do the the, the roasts. Uh, the, I love. The, who I think the the best part of the pork, and people would will agree with me, is the pork belly. You know, like a beautiful crispy skin pork belly, juicy, well seasoned with a good crunch. It's it's uh, it's absolutely delicious. You know, and and you can play with different spices with that. Um, uh, but I, I love a good. Um, pork cutlet, a simple pork cutlet on the bone. with, You can make it a schnitzel out of it with a beautiful mustard sauce. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, at home, we don't necessarily cook uh, difficult dishes either, you know, and that's why my sauce range is there for, you know, it's to help people to, to have uh, a beautiful uh, cut of pork of any kind. You know what I love as well is um, the pork neck. I think pork neck is fantastic for, to make a roast, to make a steak, to make a braise—I um, uh, I, I love those these cuts very much because it's very uh, multifaceted, I suppose, in in, in different kind of um, uh, of cooking techniques. And what we do as well is um, the Chinese um, uh, pork loin as well. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, escapes my mind now. Um, um, we do. We we tried it. Um, yeah, you know the Chinese the Chinese um, pork loin that they do in the raid in the rain. So. Oh man, I forgot. It's gonna come back to me. But we we did that, that sous vide the other day. Uh, we've got a little, oh, try sous vide exactly. Thank you so much. Um, we did that sous vide the other day because um, the first time we did it, it came out a bit dry. And then Clarissa said, "Why don't we try it sous vide?" And it worked pretty good. Uh, nice and moist, and and then and then caramelize it under the grill afterwards with the sugar. It's just yummy.
1: Uh, well, is there a, is there a secret? I know you just mentioned the sous vide, but for char sous, is it does it need to marinate for a particular amount of time to get right?
0: Yeah, I, you know, like I mean, what you buy in uh, in the shops here, I think they put a bit of coloring into it. That's why it becomes really red. But traditionally, it's 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 beautiful caramelized. Uh, you know brown uh, caramelized outside and you need to marinate it for a while so so obviously you get all the 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 flavors going through but uh yeah as long as you keep it nice and juicy on the inside and crispy on the inside it's it's
1: yeah delicious now you mentioned the pork belly earlier and i tend to agree with you it is very popular but you did sort of glaze over how you would cook it and you were very quick about it but you know that crackling is so important and keeping that meat tender do you have a, a any tips or techniques that you use to get them right it's
0: funny there's 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 uh, it's the question that's uh, that I've been asked many times and there's different techniques actually that I've, I've I've tried the the one thing that you need to do without failure is to actually uh, if you buy a pork belly that is been uh, into uh, a plastic wrap just unwrap it um, and then dry it with a paper towel and leave it in your fridge uncovered overnight. Uh, and that would um, dry the skin out. Especially if it's if the pork's been frozen for some reason, because it's a big country here, and sometimes uh, a pork or you know, meat gets frozen in, in in transit. So yeah, get get your pork belly out in a fridge uncovered to dry to to dry uh, the skin out. Um, and then you score it, obviously. And then rub, uh, I, I, some, I learned a technique where you can rub a bit of uh, uh, vinegar as well on top of it that makes the skin dry even quicker. Uh, and then you score it and then you put your seasoning in there. So uh, I love using uh, salt and pepper, of course, and I love using um, funnel seeds uh, into that. And then you really rub it in, rub it in, rub it in. And either you put your oven a full blast on the grill to really crackle the, the skin first and then reduce it, reduce the, the heat and then cook it for, for a lot longer after that. Or there's also the way of um, fr- um, uh, using a frying pan and frying the skin upside down on the pan first. Uh, so you get the bubble happening and then flip it over and finish it in the oven. So there's a couple of techniques like this, but the drying is the most important.
1: Wow! Wow! You're making me hungry. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> I've always got time for pork belly, um, Manu. It's been so great to um, catch up with you and hear your life journey. Um, look forward to seeing what you do next. Maybe it's a, another film or two.
0: Perhaps we never know. You know, I'm uh, I'm, I'm never I'm never surprised uh, what, what kind of uh, phone call I get. <laughs>
1: awesome well uh thanks for joining us on the crackling and we'll talk again soon
0: all right cheers brother
1: this is the crackling a deep in the weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. i'm anthony huxtep stay tuned as we catch up with some of australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes australian pork so special